Welcome to the Ship Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview of this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, November 25th. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Happy Black Friday. Although, doesn't it seem like we've been having Black Friday for like a month? You know, here's something that's clearly a sign that I'm getting old, but I miss Black Friday actually being on Friday. Like the Friday after Thanksgiving. Now we do Christmas for the entire month of November. You know, Thanksgiving just kind of gets run over uh, by Santa and his reindeer. Uh, again, I guess this is just a sign of me getting old. It's it's just the way it is. But, um, you know, personally, I never was a big Black Friday person. My grandmother was. She and my mom used to go out. It was like a big thing. They'd get up at like 5 in the morning and uh, they'd go to breakfast and then they hit the big sales. And, you know, it was a big deal. It was it was an event in and of itself. And uh, I always... I was like, no, no, thank you. Don't want to do that. Don't want to fight the traffic. Don't want to be in the crowds. I don't even know, you know, if, if it's like that anymore, if there's the big crowds like it used to be. I remember back in the day, they used to line up outside the stores for the Black Friday sales. I don't think that's a thing anymore. Um, but I don't know. Here, here's some trivia for you. Do you know why they call it Black Friday? It's because it's an awful day. That's why. Now, you might be thinking, well, Mike's just being a bah humbug Scrooge. Uh, you know, the, it's the old man, get off my lawn. But uh, no, it's actually true. That's literally where the name came from. Now, you've probably heard that they call it Black Friday because it was traditionally the busiest shopping day of the year. And it gets retailers out of the red and into the black financially for the first time during the year. But this is pretty much just propaganda that uh, the retail industry put out because it didn't want negative connotations attached to one of the most important sales days of the year. Incidentally, Black Friday um, typically is not the busiest shopping day of the year. It's the the Saturday right before Christmas, I think, is the... uh, Traditionally, the the biggest spending day. But regardless, the first reference to this financial explanation for Black Friday was in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and that was in 1981, so not that terribly long ago. But the earliest known use of the term Black Friday predates that Inquirer article by like three decades. The term was used in the journal Factory Management and Maintenance in 1951, and it was actually referring to workers calling in sick the day after Thanksgiving, something that I almost did today. And uh, at the same time, cops in Philadelphia started using Black Friday and Black Saturday to describe the crowds and the traffic congestion um, as shopping season kicked off for Christmas the weekend after Thanksgiving. In 1961, a public relations expert recommended rebranding the day's Big Friday or Big Saturday and that went nowhere. Uh, the New York Times started using Black Friday to describe the busiest shopping day and traffic day in 1975. You'll notice that traffic is a reoccurring theme here. So there you go. When you boil it all down, they call it Black Friday because it's just an awful day. Um, so as you can tell, this week's show is going to be a little bit different, mainly because I'm just not in the mood to dig into a bunch of financial stuff. I ate too much yesterday. I don't feel very good. Um, I've, I've been 
really intentionally staying in a calorie deficit uh, for months, trying to get rid of some of the weight that I gained while my mom was sick. And uh, I think uh, Thanksgiving meal shocked my system. So I, I, I could very easily be one of those guys that's like, ah, cash it in for the week. Um, and so, you know, I did actually toy with taking the day off. But, you know, I figured some of you might need something to listen to if you're out there fighting traffic for Black Friday, if you're inclined to do that sort of thing. So, you know, I'm a pleaser. Didn't want to disappoint. So here we are. Um, but in the spirit of the season, I'm actually going to mostly talk about Thanksgiving and pilgrims today. But not the story you're probably familiar with. Not the narrative that they taught you in school. I'm going to tell you about how the Pilgrims tried socialism, and you're going to be shocked to learn that it didn't work. Um, real quick before I do that, though, I do want to touch on the Fed minutes that came out this week. Um, it seems there is a lot of momentum for the pivot, uh, at least the soft pivot. And, you know, nothing's even broken in the economy yet, or at least not anything that's too obvious. Actually, there is a big problem in the bond market. Uh, Since the Fed stopped buying treasuries and started letting the bonds fall off of uh, its books as they mature, uh, so doing a uh, quantitative tightening, the bond market has experienced increasing volatility and liquidity problems. In fact, there is talk out there about the possibility of the central bank abandoning quantitative tightening. Um, I wrote an article about this that I will link to in the show notes page. Pretty interesting stuff. And, you know, a lot of times when when you're dealing with the economy, stuff will percolate kind of under the radar uh, before things get really bad. So you'll remember back in like 2018, 2019, we were seeing the, um, uh, oh gosh, now I can't think of the word for it. This is what happens when you don't script things out very well. Um, But we started seeing, hold on, I'm going to have to look it up now. The repo market, problems in the repo market. That's what I was trying to think of. So we started seeing those issues in the repo market, which you know no normal person is paying any attention to because this is something that's going on between banks. But that was percolating under the system back in 2018 when they were tightening. And it was kind of a precursor to them having to pivot and start cutting interest rates and stuff. And again, you know, I mentioned this before, it was before the pandemic. But um uh yeah, so there's already talk about the uh, Fed abandoning quantitative tightening. Um, and again, I will put a link to this article that I wrote in the show notes page. I'm also going to include a podcast that Peter Schiff did that's outlining some of the economic data indicating we are in what he called a stealth recession. Stealth because most people haven't acknowledged it. And again, it kind of goes to that point that things are percolating under the surface uh, where there, there are problems in the economy that your average person isn't paying a lot of attention to. But indicates that the tightening that we've already experienced, the interest rate hikes, are already having some pretty strong negative impacts, at least under the surface. Um, Anyway, from the Fed minutes, it appears the soft pivot is on. We learned, as Reuters reported, um, that a substantial majority 
of policymakers at the Federal Reserve meeting earlier this month agreed it would likely soon be appropriate to slow the pace of interest rate hikes. And uh, this is from the Fed Minutes. A slower pace would better allow the Fed Open Market Committee to assess progress toward its goals of maximum employment and price stability, blah, blah, blah. Um, The uncertain lags and magnitudes associated with the effects of monetary policy actions on economic activity and inflation were among the reasons cited. So they're nervous. They know that they pushed interest rates far above what an economy that is really predicated on easy money and debt can handle. And uh, so, you know, there's talking about slowing it down. Now, granted, they're not ending tightening yet, but it's pretty clear. It's going to slow down despite Jerome Powell's jawboning after the last meeting. And uh, you may have noticed that inflation isn't whipped yet, right? And this really sets things up nicely for a hard pivot whenever something obvious breaks, when the, you know, the market crashes or whatever it is. Um, and this kind of confirms what I've been saying. These are not people who have the stomach to really do what it takes to take down the inflation dragon. I think the next six months to a year are going to be really interesting in terms of what happens in the economy. Um, speaking of something breaking, I almost forgot to mention the whole FTX thing, uh, because that is, you know, I was asking a guy that's, that's really into crypto about this the other day. And, and I said, can you give me the dumb guy version of FTX? He he said, think of it as 2008 minus the bailouts. Um, so it's kind of what happened to to like, uh, Lilman, you know? Um, and Ryan McMakin over at the Mises Institute, he wrote a really good article on how easy money from the Fed made the speculative investing in Bitcoin possible and by extension helped set things up for this FTX collapse. And, um, you know, it's it's a very similar theme when you read what McMakin and, and kind of how he ties together the monetary policy, the speculative mania that we saw in cryptocurrency, particularly Bitcoin, and, and then this collapse. It all fits together. It's a very familiar theme. And, um, you know, it could very well be a canary in the coal mine for broader implications outside of the world of crypto. Meanwhile, more and more people in the mainstream are starting to talk about a big rally for gold in the near future. And of course, we've seen a pretty healthy rally over the last three weeks or so. Um, the dollar hit a three-month low yesterday. And of course, the strong dollar has been the biggest headwind for gold and silver. That along with speculation that you know interest rates are going to keep rising, that the Fed is going to keep tightening, and this is, this is going to be negative for gold. Um, so we're seeing some things that have been headwinds shifting direction here with the dollar getting weaker, with the Fed talking about slowing down rate hikes, with inflation still raging. Um, This morning, gold is just a tick above 1750. Uh, This was as I was prepping for the show. Now, keep in mind, just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about prices in the 1650 range and wondering if they could hold that level. So, um, you know, we've kind of, it seems like we've kind of hit another plateau in the gold market. So, that's the economic stuff that I wanted to touch on today. Let's talk about Thanksgiving. When I was a kid, we'd be making plans or somebody would come up with an idea and we'd go, yeah, that sounds good on paper. 
When we said that something sounds good on paper, what we really meant was that while it kind of sounded like a good plan, it was never going to work. Sounds good on paper, not going to work in the real world. That is socialism in a nutshell. Socialism sounds good on paper. Now, you're probably thinking, where in the world is Mike going with this? What does this have to do with Thanksgiving? Well, the fact of the matter is, the Pilgrims thought socialism sounded good on paper, and they tried it during the first couple of years in North America, and it didn't go well. Turns out you can't just ignore economics and human nature, even if something sounds good on paper. And socialism really does sound good on paper, right? I mean, we're all going to own everything together. We're all going to take care of each other, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. It sounds so nice. And of course, we all want to be nice, right? People are emotionally drawn to socialism because it sounds good. It sounds fair. It sounds nice. But do you know what's not nice? Corpses. And that's exactly what the pilgrims got when they took their stab at socialism. Most Americans, because this was not taught in most history classes, don't know that the Plymouth Colony was originally an experiment in socialist utopianism. And were it not for a complete 180 a couple of years in, we probably wouldn't have enjoyed the bountiful feasts that most of us ate yesterday. There would have been no Thanksgiving because there would have been no pilgrims left to give thanks. Now, we probably did learn in our history books whether we remember this or not, questionable, but we probably did learn that the Pilgrims arrived in Massachusetts on November 11th, 1620. Now, at that point, they had all of their food and provisions in a common store, which makes sense because they came over in ships, and you have very limited supplies that you can put on a ship, so you're going to have a common store. But these folks were forward thinkers, and they didn't even have Karl Marx's scribblings to appeal to. They set things up on the socialist principle from each according to his ability to each according to his need. This was intentional. Now, things got off to a bad start in the New World. Conditions were miserable. Uh, William Bradford described them in his journal. He wrote, That which was most sad and lamentable, that in two or three years' time, half of their company died especially in January and February, being the depth of winter, and wanting houses and other comforts, being infected with scurvy and other diseases, so as there died sometimes two or three a day, in the aforesaid time, that of 100 and odd persons, scarce 50 remained. So, like half of the pilgrims died off in that first winter. And Obviously, the Pilgrims' initial struggle didn't have anything to do with socialism, really. They just had the misfortune of landing in Massachusetts at the onset in winter. If you live in New England, you understand their pain, right? But even after their first summer, things didn't improve much. Now, they planted, they harvested, and the following fall, the Pilgrims uh, got their first crops in. Again, they all went into the common store. Now, wasn't that nice? No greed. Nobody getting any more than they should. Of course, nobody was getting much of anything at all because they didn't produce very much. But still, they had to feel good about themselves, right? Because, after all, the system was fair. So, 
that yeah, this is the following November. Uh, the ship Fortune arrived with 30 new settlers, mostly young men. Now, more manpower, that was welcome. But according to accounts, they brought not so much as a biscuit cake with them. So these folks came to the New World, they didn't bring any supplies. Bad planning, right? Uh, so they had a meager supply in their common store. And yet they had even more mouths to feed. And the future looked pretty bleak as food supplies ran out and the planned socialist communion, community faced starvation yet again. Now, fast forward to the following year. The harvest was poor again in spite of the added manpower. Nevertheless, the pilgrims again put the meager harvest in the common store because, you know, this time it's going to work. It didn't. That winter, they starved again. The colonists here were learning economics the hard way. Richard Grant, a historian in his book, The Incredible Bread Machine, wrote this. For two years, the pilgrims faithfully practiced communal ownership of the means of production, and for two years, nearly starved to death, rationed at times to, quote, but a quarter of pound of bread a day to each person. Governor Bradford wrote that, quote, famine must still ensue the next year also, if not some way prevented. He described how the colonists finally decided to introduce private property. So what I'm going to read here is Grant writing, but he's really pulling from Bradford's diary. And so you're getting the flavor of the way Bradford described this change in thought. Quote, the colonists began to think how they might raise as much corn as they could and obtain a better crop than they had done, that they might not still thus languish in misery. After much debate of things, the governor, with the advice of his chiefest amongst them, gave way that they should set down every man for his own, and to trust themselves, so assign to every family a parcel of land. This had very good success, for it made all hands very industrious, so as much more corn was planted than otherwise would have been by any means the governor or any other could use, and gave far better content. The women now went willingly into the field and took their little ones with them to set corn, which before would allege weakness and inability. Whom to have compelled would have been thought great tyranny and oppression. So in other words, they decided instead of all working this common plot of land and putting all of their food, all of their corn in a common storehouse, they would assign every family their own parcel of land for them to work as they saw fit. And lo and behold, when people had their own land and their own motivation to provide food for their own family, there was a lot more food. People were willing to work. You didn't have this this kind of, uh, this, I, I can't think of the word, kind of tendency in human nature when you know other people are doing something not to pull your own weight. When it's all on you to provide for your family, there's a lot more motivation to work. This is what the pilgrims discovered as they got away from this kind of communal, everybody owns the land and we're going to put everything in a single store, to this idea of private property where each family had a plot and was responsible for uh, providing for their own needs. Bradford goes on to describe what he learned um, was the folly of communal ownership. 
And this is directly from his journal. Quote, the experience that was had in this common course and condition, tried sundry years, and that amongst godly and sober men, may well invince the vanity and the conceit of Plato and other ancients, applauded by some of later times, that the taking away of property and bringing in community into a commonwealth would make them happy and flourishing, as if they were wiser than God. For this community, so far as it was, was found to breed much confusion and discontent and retard much employment that would have been to their benefit and comfort. For the young men that were most able and fit for labor and service did not repine that they should spend their time and strength to work for other men's wives and children without any recompense. The strong or man of parts had no more indivision of Fidicules and cloths than he that was weak and not able to do a quarter the other could. This was thought injustice. Whoa! Some people resented doing all of the work. They didn't work as hard when they knew that it wasn't them that was going to directly benefit. This is shocking. Actually, it's not shocking at all. This is human nature, and we all know it. Now, it's kind of hard to parse out Bradford's, you know, 1600s writing style here. But basically, you had these young men that were able and fit for labor. They didn't want to work for somebody else's wife. They didn't want to work for somebody else's family. What's in it for them? So they slacked. Not surprising, right? You can kind of understand where they're coming from. And uh, the the people that did work as ha- uh, the hardest, they didn't have any more than the people who couldn't do anything. So that was considered injustice. You know, you had this guy that was working his tail off, and he is in just as bad a condition as this person over here who's who's not doing squat. So human nature. You know, my, my wife is fond of saying the lack of alternatives clarifies the mind. You know, when your back is against the wall, you're going to get stuff done. You're going to do work. If you know that there's a safety net, if you know that somebody else is going to take care of you, well, why not let them? Because let's be honest, most of us are kind of lazy by nature, right? We need something to kind of motivate us and kick us in the rear. These people found this out. Living in the harshest conditions imaginable, you still had this human nature. You would think, well, you know, we don't want to all starve to death next winter. You would think that would be motivation enough, but it wasn't. You know, when we talk about economics, economics is really just the science of human behavior as it applies to allocating resources. And you can't ignore the human nature part of it. It is what it is. And economic laws, as we call them, they are a thing because of the way human beings behave. Now, we can lament the fact that human beings behave this way. We can say it shouldn't be this way, and we can finger point and talk about greed and say those young men were just mean and greedy and we should have somehow made them change their ways. But you can't do that. We can get all holier than now and say we wouldn't act that way. In other words, lie. But people will still be people. Here's the harsh truth. Good intentions and feel-good policies cannot trump basic economics. And when I say that, I'm really saying it can't trump basic human nature. You can dream of unicorns and lollipops all day, but it's not going to change reality. Scarcity, human behavior, incentives. 
The experience of the pilgrims vividly demonstrates these basic, fundamental economic principles. Their good intentions could not overpower the cold, hard realities of economic principles, even when it was a life-and-death situation. They never have, and they never will. So, just a little food for thought on this Thanksgiving holiday. So, with that, I hope you have a fantastic Black Friday, personally. I will be staying safely ensconced in my house, unless I decide to go to the gym, but no way I'm going anywhere near any shopping center or store. But, you know, even if you're like me and your tradition is to stay home and avoid the traffic on Black Friday, you can still shop for physical gold and silver today from the comfort of your couch. Talk to a Shift Gold Precious Metal Specialist by calling 1-888-GOLD-160, or you can email them, info at shiftgold.com, or you can just chat online, go to shiftgold.com, hit the Getting Started tab, and there is a chat window right there on the website. Um, as I say every week, these guys are fantastic. They will look at your portfolio, your investment goals, and help you figure out how maybe precious metals can fit into your investment strategy. And gold and silver coins, not a bad idea for Christmas gifts. So talk to those guys today. And with that, we're going to call it a gold wrap for this week. Of course, you can get more details on all of the things that I've talked about and more and keep up with the latest precious metals news and analysis throughout the week over at shiftgold.com slash news. If you haven't done it already, I can't imagine why not, but you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap over at Apple Podcasts, Google, uh, we're on Stitcher, we're on YouTube. Links to all of those things plus our social media channels are on the show notes page. You can email me at M-M-A-H-A-R-R-E-Y at shipgold.com. M-Mahari at shipgold.com. Love to hear from folks. Again, have a fantastic weekend. And we'll be back with a more regular Friday Gold Wrap next week.